contemplating uh, talking about this for a long time, but never really felt like I could do it. Uh, but this morning, it's going to be like a Bible study that we're going to have this morning. And it's a subject that a lot of people have a lot of opinion about. And that is about women in ministry. And I have suffered a lot of persecution being the pastor of a church as a woman. I mean, I'll tell you, you would not believe the things we've had to endure because we pastor a church. And uh, one instance, we were in St. George having lunch at Five Guys. I don't know whether you've been there or not. They good, good, really good hamburgers there. And we were out in the patio area, and two guys come out, and they have Jesus shirts on. So naturally, as a Christian, I'm drawn to this. Oh, man, Christians, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Nice to meet you, brothers. And then they say, what are you doing? What are you doing? So we pastor a church. You pastor a church? Don't you know what the Bible says about that? I mean, he's yelling and screaming and whatever. And I tried to talk to him. Because these people, some people you just can't talk to. They don't care. Don't bother me with the facts. I got my mind made up sometimes. And I tried to leave because I knew we weren't going anywhere. And they blocked my path. They were going to convince me that I had to resign this church because hey, they said so. After all, the Bible says it, doesn't it? And I've never seen Randy so close to punching somebody in the face in my entire life, because he was getting mad. He was really mad. And uh, a lot of people don't have a lot of kind things to say about him either, because his wife is a pastor. Who are you? You know. So anyway, I've had it all, and ever since I posted, I sometimes post on Facebook what I'm going to talk about. And I told, put on there that that's what I was going to talk about, and people crawled out of the woodwork to tell me like it is. But they don't, they haven't studied. It's amazing. A lot of people have an opinion about the Bible, but they don't study it. And they think studying is reading the King James Version. That's all I could do. That's what it says. That's it. After all, that's the most accurate Bible there is in this world. Who said so? The people that are telling those people that. So I'm going to look at those verses today. That's what I want to talk about. Can a woman preach or can a woman teach a man or can a woman be involved in ministry? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Especially to give you some... Um, ammunition, if you will, or some verses or some way for you to understand it. Because I don't think, I've never heard a sermon on this, never in my whole life. But I like these assemblies of God because never since the inception of the assemblies of God have they ever forbidden women to do anything a man can't do. Amen. Never. They've always been involved because they've studied the scriptures too. And there's over 68 million people in the assemblies of God and we have, uh, about, I don't know how many Bible colleges and we have a lot of professors and things like that that teach this stuff. And all of them that studied it come out with the same conclusion that I'm going to come give you this morning. So I want to give you some things to understand that it's okay that I'm up here. It's okay. It's okay with God. And uh, so I want to look at that. A great Britain, British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, I don't know how many heard of Paul, Charles Spurgeon, but he's very well known years, in the early years of uh, revival, if you would, in the countries. And it said, anyway, Charles Spurgeon once told a story about a Hindu woman who said to a missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman. When the missionary asked why, the woman replied, because it says so many kind things for women. That's an unbeliever looking at it, reading about it. See, because you have to understand the history of being a woman in, was basically property. And in some Middle Eastern countries, they're still treated as property. You have no rights. You can't do anything. So we need to understand that's where they're coming from. And she reads this under that uh, idea in her head. She says, man, it must be written by a woman because he's too kind to women. Well, Jesus came to set the women free and everybody else free too. And we need to understand that as believers. Now, throughout the Bible, if you read the Bible, see, a lot of people won't read the Bible, so they don't know what's in it. But you have to read the Bible to find out what it says. And in the Bible, um, a woman by the name of Deborah was one of the most mighty warriors for God and served God. And that's in Judges 4 and 5, if you want to read the story about Deborah. And Queen Esther, we all know about Queen Esther because there's a book called Esther in the Bible. And God used a woman in order to save his people. Doesn't make any sense if um, women aren't or shouldn't be involved. Of course, we all know about Proverbs 31. It seems like that's the verse that a lot of people choose for Mother's Day to tell what a godly woman consists of. But it talks about a liberated woman, a woman that went out and worked, a woman did things. And uh, so we need to understand that too. In fact, if you really want to look at it, women were the first preachers of the whole total gospel. Because they were the ones that came to the tomb. They are the ones that met the risen Savior. And see, the gospel wasn't complete until Jesus rose from the dead. 
They, everybody knew the gift that Jesus died, <clears throat> but dying wasn't enough. He had to rise from the dead. And they're the first ones that told the complete gospel. Now, that wouldn't sit in a lot of worlds today because, oh, no, I can't do that. I've got to get a man to go over here and say it so they can do it. Would you please come and look at this so that you can go talk about it? That make any sense, didn't it? I'll tell you, if I seen the risen Savior, I don't care who I am, man. I'd be running up there and getting excited and telling people about it. So if we look at the Bible, we see there's a lot, of, lot more instances that I could go into. If I did, we'd be here all day. But it's ironic that in the modern church today, a lot of the places, they don't allow a woman to be involved. Because, hey, women are supposed, not supposed to do anything except be wives and mothers. That's their job. That's the way the world thinks in a lot of churches. But a lot of them aren't like that, especially today. Now, there's a de debate going on in a lot of Christian churches today. And there's a lot of uh, denominations that don't believe it, believe that a woman should be involved. But I think that if they studied it, and actually in the original language, that they would come up with a different, a different understanding. And we have to understand that when this Bible was written, who it was written to, they understood it. It wasn't something that they had, oh, man, what are they saying? Even Revelation. Daniel, all these things, they, they may not have understood the totality of it because it was sealed until our day. And Daniel says, seal up this prophecy until the end times. But John, when he wrote in Revelation, he wrote that and people would say, oh, John, come and interpret this for us. They understood it. We have forgotten so much of the Bible. And then we've allowed men to write things down and say, this is what it means. Here, let me spoon feed you this doctrine. Well, because of that, we end up with a lot of cults that we have, don't we? There's a lot of religions. And in those religions, <clears throat> we see that women have no, no say at all, don't they? They're treated property. And that, is that God's plan for us? I don't think so. And if we read the Bible and want to understand it, we will. So, and I'm not trying to say that male leadership isn't important, because it is. I, you know, I love male leadership. We had, had more men on our board than we do women. Because I like men's leadership, and I think that both should be involved. Because women look at things a little differently than what men do. Is that true? Amen. And yet when you come together in unity, then you can each come, come to a satisfactory solution. And that's why we have both on the board. Because I don't want just one view. I like a lot of different views, a lot of different uh, people there. So, but this has been a, <clears throat> a discussion forever, and... Uh, I don't want to downplay that, and I don't also don't want to be a woman's liver, because I'm not a woman's liver, okay? I'm not there. I believe that equal work for equal pay, and I've lived in a, lived work, in a workplace where women were discriminated against. I'd be working next to a man, and he'd be getting a dollar more an hour than I was. He'd say, well, what's a dollar? Well, back then it was a lot more. It was probably like $5 or $10 today. It wasn't no big deal. They had a contract for the men. I was a union job. Contract for the men, contract for the women. Because they were treated differently. So I know what that's like. I had to fight for everything on the workplace. I had to fight to get a forklift drive license. Where I one place where I worked. Because you got them by seniority. And I had seniority. But they kept jumping over me until I made a fist. F had a fit over it. And they had to do it. They didn't like it. Because women aren't supposed to do stuff. And I've lived with that. And I've helped pioneer some of that stuff for you women today. So you're not as discriminated against, so, so thankful that I'm there. I'll tell you, if, I, if I'd been born today, I'd be playing football <laughs> or basketball or something because I was very good in sports. I could play them all, but I wasn't there, and I guess God had a, had a mind differently for that because if I was playing football, I might, be, I might not be doing this. So God knew that, and so he put me in, in the time that he needed him. <clears throat> but I think in, in uh, the world today, we're losing a lot, but and you, not utilizing women. Because we have a lot of smart women in this world. Uh, they had a, a woman prime minister in Israel, Gula, what was her name? Gudeman, yeah. <clears throat> and she was a very smart woman. And they didn't have that problem. See, Israel, Israelis don't have that problem. Women do everything. Women are in their, were in their army long before they were in ours. And it isn't they sit back here and be secretaries, or you sit back here and do this. They were involved in combat. And it took us a long time to get there. But Israel, Jew, didn't have any problem at all with it. But we do. And um, <clears throat> so that a lot of people want to keep women in bondage. And uh, God doesn't talk about that. 
Now, there are three scriptures that are commonly used to support this theme. And every time I get involved with a discussion with somebody about it, all these three scriptures come up. And usually they're quoted very loudly, figuring that if they say it loud enough, that I'm going to be converted to their way of thinking. Well, that might work if I hadn't studied the word. If you want to know an answer, you study the word. God tells you stuff if you'll study it. He didn't say just read it. He says study to show yourself approved. In other words, he didn't want you to just know what, what this says. They wanted to dig deeper, find out what the words is. And now how many know that in the Greek language is different than ours? I mean, they had a lot more words in their language than we do. They have over five words just for the word love. We just have one word. So who, which is the better language? In the Greek language, there was no confusion about what was being said. Because if they said, I love my dog, it was a different word than I love my husband. We just say, I love my dog, I love my husband. We don't have no problem interpreting the difference. Well, maybe some people love their dog the same as they love their husband. But generally speaking, we know the difference. So, but the problem is, we sometimes pick the wrong word to interpret that when there's more than one word for that. But before we start, I want to look at, examine some of the basic rules of biblical instruction or interpretation. Um, put up that first slide, will you? <clears throat> basic rules of biblical interpretation. All scripture is to be interpreted in its historical context. All scripture is to be interpreted in light of verses surrounding it or in context. All scripture is to be interpreted in light of the overall message of scripture. And custom is not doctrine. Customs change, doctrines don't. So if we use these rules, and these are just four, I mean, you could add to them or whatever, but basically these are four basic things if you're going to study God's word, to find out those things. That's why you need to study, because if you study what's going on at the time, then that verse makes a whole meaning more. We, we get more out of it if we understand those things. So if we do that, then that's the way we need to understand God's word. And remember, since God's word doesn't contradict itself, you'll never find an error in the Bible. If somebody finds an error, it's their problem, not God's, because God doesn't contradict itself. So if we come up with a different answer, we have to widen our scope and find out what God said in different areas of the Bible, because everything will, will agree with each other. So if we do that and we find something that doesn't seem like it fits, study the whole thing. Go through these steps and find out what you're dealing with. So with that in mind, let's look at this first scripture that I get shoved down my throat every time I turn around. And it's in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. It says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Woo, that's an ugly source, isn't it? Now, if it's true, if you just take this all over and you carry it out to the, the whole thing, because if women aren't allowed to do any of this stuff, then that means when we, we come to church as women, we can't talk. We can't sing. We can't praise God. We can't visit afterwards because we have to be silent. Now, does that make any sense to you? Because that's some of the reasons we come to church, so we can talk, we can sing, we can worship God and do all these kind of things. But if you take this verse by face value, all of a sudden we say, oh, man, I better go sit down. I can't be up here. And that's the one they try to shove down my throat. And when I try to explain them to it, they don't want to hear it. Because this is what they've been taught. And they are not going to, don't bother me with facts, i got my mind made up. So anyway, <clears throat> this is a very troubling to us, if, if this is what it's talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 4 and 5. <clears throat> now if you'll notice here, I put the... These are strong concordance numbers. So if you want to go home and look these verses up yourself, you're going to come, these are the words that I put in here. Every man, it said, and that's G435, and if you look down there and see G435, it says a man, a fellow, a husband, man, sir. Okay? Praying or prophesying, and that's a different word. It says G435, and it says to foretell events, divine, speak under inspiration, Exercise a prophetic office or prophesy. Okay? That talks about a man. And having his head covered dishonoreth his head. Now, I put in there Christ because he, who's the head of man? Christ is the head, right? If you, if you read those uh, verses, you'll find that out. But every woman, which is G1135, if you look down there, look at G1135, 
1135, it says, a woman, specifically a wife, okay, that prayeth or prophesieth, and that's the same word there as it was for the man. So all of a sudden, we got a contradiction if that word is what we think it is. Because it says that the woman prophesied with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, and her head is husband. Because the wife's head, the husband is the head of the wife. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, we have it right there, black and white. is isn't talking about just all women at all. He's talking about a wife. Because nowhere in, the, in this Bible did God tell a woman to be under subjection to every single man. Can you imagine what a mess that would be? That would It's bad enough to be under subjection to your husband, especially if he's ungodly, let alone every man. So every woman comes into the church, and one man tells her to do this, one man tells her to do that, one man tells this. We'd be in a mess, wouldn't we? So if we get back to the original language, now I can give you the, the, the words for those, if you, you know, if you like them, I and in Hebrew, what is it? See, we got for Anar, which is a man or a husband, a gune, which is a wife, and propheto-yo, propheto-yo, for prophecy. I'm not Greek, but those are the words if you want to figure them out and you want to look them up. So <clears throat> we need to understand that. Now, what this is dealing with here, this particular verse, and if this is true, then how come women, every woman here is, doesn't have their head covered today? You're breaking the law. The Bible says you have to have your head covered. How come you don't have your head covered? That's what it says. See how we can get in there? Well, we've got to understand that that was a custom. Now, if we go back to the historical context, why in the world did they put this in here? Well, it, when a woman went to church or went anywhere, actually, and her head was covered, that told everybody, I'm married. That's what it was telling them. And when the women became Christians, they said, we're free from the law. I don't have to wear this thing anymore. But Paul was saying, hey, 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 wait a minute. Back up the train. You need to do this because it's a disgrace. It's a shame in our custom for you to do that. Now, today, our coverings have been replaced by wedding rings. So when people look, they can see that I'm married because I have a wedding ring on. Now, I don't think my husband would want me going out on the town take my wedding ring off because that tells everybody, hey, I'm available. And I'm not. <laughs> And so that has kind of replaced that because that's our custom. We've got to understand, remember, customs change, doctrine doesn't. And that's how we know. Is that a custom or is that doctrine? If it's doctrine, everybody better go out and get their head covered. Or we've got uh, paper towels in there that you can put over your head. So we've got to carry this stuff through and we've got to look at it as a whole. And like I said, I want to point out that, the word for, that men, women prophesied. Otherwise, they wouldn't put that in there. And it's the same word as when men prophesied. And that means speaking under the inspiration. It could be telling future things, because sometimes people do that. But it's the more common thing is speaking under the inspiration. And it has to come from God. And you'll know if so, we call it the anointing. That's what we call it, the anointing of God. And you speak under the inspiration of God. God tells you what to say in your words and your language to a certain degree. So anyway, that's what that is dealing with. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, 2... Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now we go back to, the, remember the words, a man there is a husband. But if you get to the word man and woman in this verse, if you'll, it's the same thing, 1538. Every man, 1538, that means a man or a woman. Wow, that's, that's really confusing, isn't it? But we go down there, it means each or every, any, both, each, one, every man, one woman particularly. So you can actually stick any one you want in there. But the context limits what we put in there. So instead of saying, um, let a man have, a, have his wife, which is a man, that's stupid, isn't it? Even today's society that we live in, it's, they usually say husband and husband. They never say a wife and a wife. They never have... One man is never the wife. So you put that in there, and you know that it's a man have his own wife. Because that's the word, 1135, wife, that we see in the interpretation. And let every woman, we know it's a woman because the other one says husband, which is a G, 435. So see, those things were made clearer then. Now we have problems with it. But then they didn't have any, have any issues at all with it because they understood it. And if we want to understand this stuff, we've got to go back to the original and see what it's really saying. 
Because they understood it, and even when they interpreted the King James Bible, they probably understood this stuff. And yet, now, we just passed it on for 400 years, and we've lost the meanings. So, anyway. <clears throat> so, with this in mind, let's look, let's look back at our original verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35, using the original language. It says, Let your wife... Keep silence in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. <clears throat> and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shame for a wife to speak in church. Now, we have to understand what's going on in here. Now, first of all, if wives are supposed to be silent, does that mean uh, unmarried women is okay for them? It says a wife there, so that means that if you get married, you have to all of a sudden quit talking. You have no opinion once you get married. So we need to understand that. So remember, if we look at the original language, go to the next slide. We have to uh, remember all the scriptural is to be interpreted in its historical context. All scripture is to be interpreted in light of the verses surrounding it or in context. All scripture is to be interpreted in light of the overall message of scripture. And custom is not doctrine. Customs change, doctrine doesn't. When we keep this in mind, we have to look at, okay, what's going on? Paul was dealing with a situation where the, we had people in the church. And, um, and besides that, this is another thing, too, if we got to understand it the way they did. All you husbands have to go on this side and all your wives have to be go over here. You're not allowed to sit together because that's the way that they, had, they did their service. And in that service, a woman was on this side of the room and she had something that was said in the, in the service she didn't understand. So she was asking her husband what it meant. Now, normally, if you're in a, today, it wouldn't be an issue. Cecilia could just reach over and ask Val something in a whisper and he could tell her. But not then, because the women were over here, the men were over here. Can you imagine what that would do for a service? If Cecilia's yelling at her husband over here, Well, what's going on with this? What are they talking about? It would be disruptive, wouldn't it? And that is kind of what, what Paul is dealing with. He said, don't disrupt the service by asking your questions. Wait for, and ask your question at home. Ask your husband your question at home. So that's what's going on in this issue. And we know it because it fits in perfectly with the overall contents of that chapter. If you read that chapter, you're going to find a lot of things that have to do with the order of the service. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of them in 1 Corinthians 14. Next slide. Okay, it says, Let all things done unto edifying. And that's verse 26 in that same chapter. And the verse just before the one that causes all the problems is, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That's 1433. And then right after it, it says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Paul was talking about the order of the service. He was saying, whether you prophesy, whether you sing, whatever you do, do it in a, 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 right, a right order. Because God is not the author of confusion. It needs to be done in a particular way. And God was, or Paul was giving them the order of things the way they should be. And women were disrupting the service by asking questions. But also some people were, were disrupting the, the, the service by speaking at a turn. They had something they wanted to say. Instead of waiting for a, uh, the proper time for it, they were just doing it. And so it wasn't just women he wanted to be silent. He wanted the people that were doing things out of, out of order to do it in a proper way. Now go home and read that, read that chapter, and you're going to find out that's what it's dealing with. It has nothing to do with anything else except that, the right order of the service. So now let's look at another couple of verses that uh, cause problems. In uh, 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not suffer or permit a woman to teach or upset authority over a man. That one's a troubling one, too. Absurd authority over a man. They've, they've made a whole doctrine of that. But if we read it in the, in the original languages, I do not suffer or permit a wife to teach or upset authority over a man. And that means to dominate a husband. Get the word dominate in there. We kind of translate authority that then meant to dominate. But today, it means a whole different thing to us. Women or wives are not supposed to dominate their husbands. And women have a tendency to do that if we're not careful. Women want to follow the head of the family. 
And that's God's place in the home. Man's the head of the wife. Man is the, he's the head of the family. Women, if you don't like it, don't get married. I mean, I have a problem with that. Here I'm, the, I'm, here I'm Randy's pastor. Well, when I go home, he's the head of the family. And I have to take that hat off and put wife hat on because he's the head of our family at home. But when we come here, it's a whole different ballgame. God has freed and liberated women in order to do the things that, that he wants them to do. So, uh, let's see. Now, this uh, referring, like I said, to the marriage relationship. So, so uh, Paul isn't saying that men cannot learn from women. Paul is saying they can't, women can't dominate men. Because, well, let's look at this next verse. Acts 18, 24, and 20 through 26. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. The man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogues, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them, unto him, un, he took, they t- took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now it said Priscilla, along with her husband, took him and expounded the scriptures to him. Now, if women weren't allowed to do that, why didn't Paul just leave Priscilla out of it altogether? Wouldn't that make more sense? It would be very easy for Paul to correct it at this point. But he didn't. He said both of them did this. They were a couple, and they did it together. And this shows perfectly um, a wife, and her position is a wife, and yet she's free to express the gifts that God's given her. There's a lot of women in the church that have a lot of gifts that are being wasted because they're not allowed to use them. Now, that seems kind of ridiculous to me that God gives somebody a gift and then says, don't use it. So we need to understand that, that in here, if men weren't supposed to learn from a woman, then Apollo sinned by doing so because it, he learned from both of them. And he turned to be a great preacher of his era. And it started, helped right here because all he knew was the knowing was the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John was the baptism of repentance. That's all it was. You just got to repent, 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 repent. But see, Jesus, yeah, there's a bapt- uh, of repentance, but there's also a baptism of life. Jesus died for our sins, so we got to accept that. Jesus rose from the dead, we got to accept that. So it completed the gospel for him because this is all he had was the repentance. And if all you have is repentance, you need more of it. You need to have the total gospel because that isn't just the gospel. That's the only part of it. So they expounded him the rest of it and let him know the rest of the gospel so he could preach it and become a mighty uh, man. So anyway, if uh, 1 Timothy 2.12 was intended to totally forbid women, then Apollos was sinning. Okay, in Romans 16.3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila by my co-workers in the service of Christ Jesus. Why mention Priscilla at all if they weren't supposed to do anything? And he said they are co-workers. That's plural. And plural means what? More than one? See, if God didn't want Priscilla to be involved, he would have said, and Aquila, my co-worker in the service of Christ. He said co-workers. They were both his co-workers in Christ. See, read the whole Bible. Study the whole Bible, not just a few verses. And now let's look at the one that really is another issue that they have with women. And uh, it's in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2 and 12. And it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, diligent, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. And then also Titus 1, 6, it was kind of, um, it's the same similar thing. It says, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now, <clears throat> we look at this, and uh, it seems like what they're saying is only men can do that. But we've got to look deeper. See, we just can't take everything in service. We've got to look at it, and we've got to study it. Is that what he's saying? Now, in these verses, if it tended to be an absolute command here, then only men could be pastors, deacons, or teachers. Is that correct? Is that the way that verse says it? But then that would automatically disqualify Paul because Paul wasn't married. 
And in order to be a deacon, you had to be the husband of one wife. Well, there goes Paul out the window. He can't do it. He doesn't qualify. And now he has to be blameless. They have to be blameless to having faithful children and ruling their children in their own house as well. That means you have to have children, right? So if you don't have any children, you're disqualified. And if they're unruly, they're disqualified. So if you have a juvenile delinquent, that kicks you out. You can't do it, according to these verses. So we've got to carry the whole thing out. See, they just want to cherry-pick things out of it. You've got to take the whole and not just cherry-pick things out of it. So this would qualify, this verse would disqualify 80% of the people that's in ministry. Just look here, here this morning. There's people here that isn't married. They aren't married. Some people don't have a wife. So you've you got to be quiet too. Some people don't have children. You're disqualified. Just here in this church, we'd have a lot of people disqualified from doing anything. But let's look a little deeper and see actually what, it re- what really does it say. Let's look in um, the verse again, 1 Timothy 3.12. Next, next slide. Now we get to the original language, see? I could have done original language for everything here, but it would have been a lot longer. I just want to get the words they're, they're picking out. Let the deacon, what does a deacon mean? Look down here in G1249. Specifically, a Christian teacher and pastor, technically a deacon or deaconess. Uh-oh, scratch that out. They got that wrong. A deacon, a minister, a servant. That's the definition. The husband of one wife. Now, how many know that during the, the Old Testament time and sometimes in the New Testament era that people were polygamous? How many knew that? So men had more than one wife. Some men did. And he's saying that only men that only have one wife. How many of you know any polygamous woman? Anybody? You know one that has two husbands? That's what I mean. <laughs> I don't know any women that's had two husbands. Who would want two husbands? And who would want two wives? Now, I would like to have two husbands sometimes because then they could both be doing my, my honey-do list. Three. three. I need three. Yeah, I need three. <laughs> but there wasn't a problem with women having more than one husband. So why in the world is Paul going to tell women not to have more than one wife? Does that make any sense? See, God gave us a brain to use and to think things through. And so if we study the history, we know that, that they had more than one husband or more than one wife. So he says, you can only have one wife. But then we come to this verse, Romans 16, 1, 2. You know, if this, this wasn't in here, it would help their cause. But see, we take the whole Bible, not just cherry-pick verses. Romans 16, 1 and 2 says, I command unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant. Now look at that word. That word, it's the same word down there, pastor, technically a deacon or deaconess. Same word that they used for the deacons up there. Oh, we don't like that. Let's throw that out. Okay, so we, which is the servant, or a deacon, deaconess, of the church, which is at Censoria, that ye may, that ye receive her in the Lord, as becometh the saints, and that she, ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. I let, this is King James, because, you know, most of the people that have these problems, they use King James. Now, man, I'll tell you, that sure messes up everything, doesn't it? A woman, she's a servant, and he's, Paul's commanding him to help her, because she's worked with me. When we look at specifically the whole context, then we see that we get the, uh, the true meaning of what's there. In Philippians 4, 2, and 3, it says... I beseech Echinus and beseech Cyrenus. Well, some of these words, I don't know, I'll tell you. Why can't they name him Peter Paul or something? That they be the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Hmm. The women, help those women who labored with me. What did Paul do? What was Paul's job? Promote the gospel, build churches, right? That's what he did, started churches. And he was the apostle to the Gentiles, preached the gospel. And these women had the audacity to help him. And Paul let them. How dare he? Kind of messes up our theology, doesn't it? So it had been very easy for him to uh, 
correct this if it was a problem, wouldn't it? Real easy to correct it. But see, they didn't have a problem with it. They understood what the words were. They understand what we're saying. We have a problem because we look, see, what we do sometimes is we have our opinion, and then we try to find scriptures to support our opinion. And that isn't the way you study the Bible. You read the Bible for what it says and let God interpret it. And if you're having a, a situation with it, let the Bible interpret itself. That's the rule. You can't just cherry pick scriptures. You've got to take it all. You can't just take the parts you like. There's a lot of stuff in here I don't like, but I preach it anyway. And like I said, when I'm preaching this way, i got three fingers pointing back at me. So I need it too. I'm preaching to myself. I need it just as much as you do. Probably more. So, <clears throat> uh, let's see where we're at. What were that's Philippines for? I got lost my scriptures here. Oh, okay. Now we go back to Acts 2, 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Uh-oh. And there's that ugly word again. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, now look down, see what the word servants means. It's a, I haven't got it down there. It must be in the next, next slide. But anyway, it says, on my uh, slaves... And on my handmaidens, which was a female slave, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Go to the next slide. I think that's where I have the things, don't I? Yeah. Female slave, and literally a, uh, an involuntary, voluntary, because they were all, they, they did have voluntary slaves that didn't want to leave their masters, and someone in subjection, a bondservant. And the other one says, that's a prophecy one again, to foretell, speak under the inspiration. So you can speak under the inspiration when you're talking to somebody about God. Have you ever noticed that when you're witnessing to somebody talking about Jesus and it just seemed like the words just kind of flowed? That's the inspiration of God. God's giving you the things to say. And if you're talking to somebody about Christ and it happens to be a guy and you got him, oh, you're talking about, the, oh, man, I got to go call a guy because I can't talk to him about Jesus. Will you please come to my job? I got this guy that wants to hear about Jesus and I can't talk to him because he's a man. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? How many people would be lost because of that? Because the world today doesn't see women differently than they see men. I mean, as far as equality goes. That's the only thing I like about the today's day is the fact that women are, are considered equal. It's hard to discriminate against women today, isn't it? I had to deal with it when it was, was hard. So, and this prophecy here was a fulfillment of one that's in the Old Testament in Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, daughters, shall prophesy. And my servants, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. They will speak under the anointing. Daughters and handmaidens, they're, they're female. And God doesn't discriminate. He uses the same words for them that he uses for them. And in Acts 21, 8 and 9, it says, And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And when we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him, and the same man had four daughters, virgins, who did prophesy. Oh, man, why'd you have to put that in there, God? That ruins my theology. He had four daughters that prophesied. That blows everything out of the water. Of course, they weren't wives either. They were daughters. Man, if we just look at everything as a whole, we can see that God isn't a discriminator. We are. God isn't a racist. We are. And we're not, God isn't a male chauvinist. Some religions are. So, if it weren't allowed to hold the same office as men, why didn't Paul correct it? Paul had so many opportunities to correct the theology of people that were, were messed up. And what we thought it was. But God, Paul told it like it was, and he didn't have a problem with it. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this is one we're more familiar with, it says, Then Jesus came unto them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Now, Jesus spoke this to 500 people. And you know what? There was women there. And he didn't say, all right, all you men that are here, this is for you. You go out and teach them. You go out and baptize them. And teach them everything that I've told you. Because the women were the ones sitting at Jesus' feet. The women were more loyal to Jesus than his, a lot of his disciples were. I mean, they, they followed him. They loved him more than anybody did was the women. And here they are. And Jesus says, you go out and teach them everything I've taught you. Because, remember, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha didn't like it. Because Martha was doing women's work, what they considered women's work. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet hearing stuff that were never allowed to hear before. Women weren't allowed to do that kind of stuff. But Jesus never corrected it. He didn't say, all you men, you can do it, but if you got a woman there, and now if you find somebody, you go get a man, you tell him this stuff. He had a perfect opportunity to correct it because you think Jesus didn't know what was going to happen today? He knew everything. And he didn't bother to correct it because it wasn't a problem with him. If it isn't a problem with God, why do we have such a problem with it? I know we don't hear, or none of you would be here this morning. But we don't have a problem with it because God doesn't. And who am I to question who's God's going to give to do certain things? If somebody has the gift of singing, why can't they sing? Except in the shower. Or except at a woman's meeting. Why can't they? If God gave them the gift and the ability, why do we have to hide it in there and not be able to use it? In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for that verse. That means that God doesn't have a problem with anybody. He doesn't have any favorites. God loves me the same as he loves you. And you put whoever you want on that pedestal. And God loves you just as much as he loves them. Whoever that great evangelist is or whoever that person is. God loves him the same as he loves you. And Joyce Meyer is a great teacher. So why would God want to limit her? Can you imagine if Joyce, uh, Joyce Myers wasn't on the scene? How many people has she touched and made the gospel simple for people? We wouldn't have that. But oh no, she's got to be silent. She can't do this. God gave her the gifts to do this. But you can't use it unless it's just women. And when they pan the audience, I've seen some sinners out there. There were men in those audiences. We've got to realize that God is no respecter of persons. Everyone who is a believer, male or female, can preach or teach. Anyone can, as long as they're a born-again believer. And God has called you to do that. And how do you know if you're called to do that? If you have a gift to do it, you're probably God wants you to use that gift. God doesn't give you the gift to, to, not to use, no matter what it is. I have to give a gift of talking. Amen, right, honey? Yeah. I talk a lot. I got to get my 25,000 words. Only I think I have 50,000 words I have to get in. So Randy's in trouble when I'm not here because I got to get that extra 25,000 words in on him. Of course, we have three dogs, so I can talk to them too. But anyway, in some religions today, women are still property and they have limited rights and limited abilities that they have. Now, I'm glad I'm not among the Mideastern women, aren't you? Amen. I mean, if you want to be subjected to men, go pick out your burqa. And they've even got some different colors now. They don't have black, just black. They have some other colors. I would not be, do well in that society. I'd be the first one that's killed. There's no way you're getting me in a burqa. <laughs> I'll wear a burqa when you wear the burqa. And back to the customs of the day, men wore dresses back then. All you men got to go home, put a dress on. <gasps> it was a custom. They didn't have pants like we have today. And there's a scripture that says women aren't supposed to wear men's clothing. That's why they don't wear a dress. Because they wore dresses back then. <laughs> I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Sister Smith, my pastor's wife, was kidding me about it because we did our master mender uh, play that we did, and in that I had a dress on. And she says, man, you look so good in a dress. Why don't you do that? And I told, gave her told that verse. But one day I surprised him, and I went and bought a dress, and I, and I sang in a dress. And I got up there, and I said, hey, how do I look? But anyway, 
So accustoms are not doctrine. Separate the two. Otherwise, if you're going to it, men, go put your dresses on. Go cover your head, ladies. Do all, you have to do it all, because you can't do just some, you've got to do it all. <clears throat> now, in the Christian world, there are more women than there are men. Really? Isn't that right? I mean, if we just counted it today, we'd probably have more, more women than men. But let's just say that the Christian world is 50% women and 50% men, just for my illustration. Now, if Satan can twist the scripture enough to get 50% of the gospel or the church to shut up, wouldn't that be a good thing for him? Take 50% of everybody in the, in the Christian world and tell them to shut your mouth because you can't speak. Can you imagine what a mess this world would be in? That isn't, the, that isn't the, the world we live in, and it wasn't the world that Jesus created. Man created those things because they like women in subjection and bondage, but Jesus came to set us free. Now, we are under the authority of our husbands at home, so if you don't want to be under the authority of your husband at home, don't get married. And I tell women when I counsel people, because I won't marry anybody until I counsel them, I tell them, if you're not willing to do this, don't get married. And if they wonder how that works, the husband gets two votes and you get one. So you talk about everything and you vote. But he has two votes. And then whatever he says, he's responsible for. So ladies, we usually get it when they make a wrong decision, don't we? Ha ha, I told you I was right. I try not to do that. Of course, he's usually not wrong. And I'm not either, so. <clears throat> when we have a problem, I just say, hey, this is your pastor speaking. You have to do what I say. No, <laughs> don't do that either. So we need to understand that God doesn't want the woman to be silent. He gave women gifts. We have a lot of women in this congregation that have gifts. And God wants you to use them for his kingdom. And if you have an opportunity to witness somebody, do it, even if it's a man. Because God will let open their hearts and anoint you to do it. And if God has anointed somebody and gifted someone to do something, why do we want to stop them? It had been an awful lonely worship service this morning without women. Amen. Shannon is a lone, lone guy up here. So we've been hard, you know, can you sing with a, just the drums? Awful hard, isn't it? Women are more involved sometimes than men are because men, I don't know why it is, men have a hard time getting involved, and I don't know why that is. But everyone is supposed to be involved. God doesn't limit who we are. doesn't matter whether you're a teenager whether you're a man or a woman or even a kid, I've heard some really good sermons from little kids because they understand it and they believe it. And over in the other countries, they do too. I remember a, a, a guy was a guest speaker at a church in, I don't remember what kind of Africa or somewhere, and he read them, the script, you know, the verses we talk about going to all the world and preach the gospel. And he says, go and do likewise. And the whole congregation got up and left. <laughs> and they got, now that really, that really give you a complex if you're a preacher. And the guy says, what, what happened? He said, well, you told them to go and likewise, and they believe it, and they do it. Can you imagine what we would do if we believed God's word? We spend so much time trying to figure out what's right, what somebody can do, and what they can't do. What if we spent that, that same time evangelizing and let God take care of it? Then it would work out a lot better. Now, people want to live and, and not do those things, that's fine. But I don't have to be one of those women. And I think God's gifted me to do this or I wouldn't be here. God uses the available, not necessarily the most gifted. And if you're available, God will see to it you can do a job. He can anoint you to do it even though you don't know anything. He took a whole, whole bunch of disciples and turned the world upside down. And they weren't educated like we, a lot of people are today. The problem with education is it, it educates us right out of God. Because <clears throat> that's the society we live in. But God's plan is that everyone is equal. We all stand equal at the cross. He died for me just the same as he died for you. And I'm going to go into his kingdom just the same as you are because I've accepted him. Because the only way you get into heaven is by believing he died on the cross for your sin, acknowledging you're a sinner, accept him, and believe that he not only died, but he rose again from the dead. And then you have to have a desire to want to share gospel with, with other people. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want our family and friends to go to heaven with us? Things aren't going to be taken to heaven. 
And even when we get to heaven, God's even going to change our name because our earthly name isn't going to be allowed there. I don't know what my new name is, but I'll know it, and you'll know it. Everybody's going to have a new name written down in glory. It didn't mean Sandra. It meant whatever that name that God gave me is. <clears throat> it's probably Hebrew. And I won't, except I'll be able to understand it, and I'll be able to quote it and say it like it's supposed to. I'm amazed at these kids that grow up and, you know, watch football, and they, some of these people got names on their back this big. I'm going, how in the world do they pronounce that? Can you imagine being a three-year-old, four-year-old trying to tell people what your last name is? Should have been just Smith and whatever. Anyway, so I hopefully I helped you understand some of the verses in the Bible to know that it's okay. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves all of us equally, and he wants us to serve him equally. Doesn't matter who you are. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And he doesn't see that I'm a woman and he's a man, so I've got, got to use him and can't use her unless there's just women there. Then, then I can use her. That is the way it works. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I'm thankful that God isn't a racist. He isn't a male chauvinist. I'm glad of that. He likes men just as much as he likes women. And I'm thankful for that. And we all stand equal to the cross. I know that mostly this was about a different kind of a sermon than what you wanted, but I thought it was time that you understood some of this stuff. Because I had to deal with this before I ever come into a position that I'm in. I had a hard time with it when I first started. People were asking, actually, I didn't even plan on being a minister. We were always involved in ministry. But people were asking me to do things that only ministers do. That's the only reason I got papers originally, was so I could do weddings, I could do funerals because people were asking me to do it. And that's the only reason, but I didn't intend on pastoring this church at that point, so I had to go through and I had to study and make sure that it was okay with God. Because I don't want to do anything that God won't approve of, do you? Whether it's here, and if God didn't approve of it, believe me, I wouldn't be up here. So I want, hopefully, that each one of us will realize how important we are to God. And we're a body of believers. We're a mosaic. Now, a lot of people know what a mosaic is. Now, if you're standing up close to a mosaic with all those little pieces on there, it doesn't look like much. You say, man, what in the world is that? But if you get back and you see the whole mosaic, you see how beautiful it is. And that's what the body of Christ is. God has put us in a certain place, in a certain position, to complete that mosaic he has that's beautiful. We are a body of believers, each one of us. And if you look at a mosaic and the piece is missing, it isn't as pretty. It loses something. So if you're in that mosaic, are you doing your part? Are you feeling what God has called you to do? Hopefully you are. Anyway, let's pray. Verses 